Welcome to Seers, Beers, Knowers, and Doers, a podcast about intuition. Do you know what that is? Intuition to me is that inner sense for knowing that something is true, and yet I have no proof. But there's so many definitions, and there's so many ways it can come. I'm looking to bring together and share with you some amazing guests who have some amazing life stories and also some insights into how intuition can come. I'm looking to gather those crows in the trees. I hope you're one of them. I hope that this podcast inspires you to be more connected to your intuition. And I hope that by doing that, we make the world a better place. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. Before we get started today, I would love to share some tools with you to help with stress and feeling overwhelmed, especially for the energetically sensitive person. Feel free to go to my store on my website at www.healingvitality.ca. Thanks so much for coming on this journey with me. So I'm super excited today, and I think I say that every podcast, but I really am today because I feel like I found a soul sister in some... Anyways, so I am so grateful that you said yes to to joining me today, Sarah. My guest today is Sarah Schlote. Thank you for coming. Hi, Heather. Hi, Heather. So I'd like to start off with, please tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll share you with the world. Fantastic. So I am a bit of a mixed bag. I, I like to describe myself as this really weird... Some people have called me a Zen spark plug. Uh, I love it. Some people, yeah, some people have talked about how I'm this really interesting mix of being very scientifically minded while at the same time having a very strong uh, intuitive side. And I like to think of myself as a really complex individual with a lot of authenticity to bring. And if I had to describe myself, I think those would probably be um, the best ways to describe who I am as a, as a person in a nutshell. Um, but then there's, of course, what I'm known for, and that would be perhaps more on the professional realm, which is uh, I'm a registered psychotherapist in private practice, and I have been focusing my practice for many years now on working with trauma in many, many forms, probably in the broadest definition possible you could imagine for the word trauma, uh, and specializing in many of the more cutting-edge uh, trauma therapies that are, are out there today, and have also been working on uh, a sideline which has quickly mushroomed into being a very big and prominent part of my world, which is Equisoma, which basically stands for Equus which is horse, and soma, which is the body. And this idea that we can look at the relationship between horses and humans in terms of trauma and how do how does human trauma and horse trauma, how do those two things intersect and influence each other? And if, how do we heal together? Like if we're injured in relationship together, how do we heal together? And, and so Equisoma... Uh, in large part has the name because it draws from a particular modality I'm trained in called somatic experiencing. And that is a whole other story in and of itself. But that's largely my professional world is uh, trauma therapist, trauma trainer, and a uh, horse person. So were you always a horse person? Yeah, no. And that's what's so interesting. I did not grow up with horses. I always grew up rural. My family most, like pretty much until age 18, from birth to 18, we lived on various rural properties from sort of the Mount Laurentian Mountains in western Quebec to 
country roads in eastern Ontario. And where we grew up, there were a lot of farm properties around, but my family is not a horsey family. And uh, when I was a child, interestingly, I discovered this after I grew up, the, one of the properties we lived on when I was a young person was actually a, a little mini sort of wee one-acre horse property that I didn't know was a horse property until my parents told me when I was in my, like, 30s. And it was funny because I always loved that property. Like, it was very, very deep, about 500 feet deep. And which is why it was a horse property. And so mm. partway along the backyard, there was a long fence. And on the other side of the fence was a creek and an orchard, like a little apple tree and a bunch of trees and a shed where we piled wood, which I later came to understand was a run and shelter. Mm. And I didn't know that at the time. And so I feel like my whole life I've been, you know, aching to get back to a farm. And as a teenager, my best friend was a horsey person. Oh, and dear. yeah, and she got me into horses, the Walter Farley books, you know, Black Stallion yes, and all the offshoot yeah. books. And I read those, uh, you know, religiously. And then she got me into the Man from Snowy River movies, which I also watched like a fiend. And then kind of fell out of horses for a bit. And as a grown up, as I moved into the therapy world, learned a lot more about animal assisted therapies. And when I moved to Vancouver Island to do my master's degree in counseling psychology, really started to open up my horizons around horses and healing and horsemanship and all this kind of stuff. And so it sort of blossomed out of there. And how long ago was that? That would be about 14 years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. There, I think there were shifts going on in the world 14 years ago. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's when I quit my corporate job and, and moved into naturopathy. So it's... Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and other scenarios 14 years, 14, 15 years ago was when lots of cool stuff happened, I think. Yeah. So you have taken a whole bunch of modalities and basically blended them into your own melting pot that you offer your clientele? Yeah. yeah. It's been really fun. I think there's, because uh, I know you're so focused on intuition, and I, I want to respect sort of the theme for your podcast. And so when I think about all these modalities that I've been drawn to, I think there's a certain inner knowing around, okay, you know, like when you land in, a, in, a, in an area of practice, there's something that shifts inside where you go, yes, this is, this is the thing. It's like Peter Levine, who created Somatic Experiencing, he will talk about the body speaking in its unspoken voice. And I kind of like that languaging because it, it certainly feels like that for me where there's this process that happens in me when I get connected to something that feels right. And, and there's different body sensations that happen. There's like an expansion in my chest and, you know, a sense of peace or aliveness that comes and, you know, and, and depending on the moment that it, it's tinged with different kinds of feelings. And one thing that happens a lot for me when I know I'm on the right track is I'll get goosebumps and a shiver that goes down my right leg from my hip to my ankle. And it's the same same sensation and it has been that sensation that was a kid so it's really interesting you know so these modalities that I've chosen to train in as a therapist have all fed into each other and have all kind of come to me as a result of this intuitive sort of sense even if the modalities are all highly scientifically based I came to them as a result of trusting my felt sense about them wonderful 
I giggle when you say goosebumps because I have goosebumps when stuff like that happens. So <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. The body is an amazing mechanism and how yeah. it's, I've never actually researched how intuition can turn on the nervous system to create feelings. Like, I don't know if that is a thing or not, but it's funny because when people feel things like that, it's like, how does that generate it? You can't say that it isn't true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So in working with the horses, do you have your own horses? Yeah, we have two. And when we do, or when I do sessions, they currently go with the COVID sort of pandemic. We're not able to offer sessions currently. We're looking to start to reopen that. Um, but because my boarding facility, uh, where I currently board, um, does not, I mean, that there's some limitations around who could be there and when, and, and insurance-wise, you know, we're not right. allowed to bring off-site people into the pastures. That really limits what I can do and so I partner with a nearby stable and we have access to I think somewhere between six and eight horses that we can engage with in a process for working with the clients and so that's been really interesting but that of course is part of this process is you know I've been wanting to have my own farm for a very very long time like I said earlier I've been kind of trying to move in that direction since I feel like I left that property when I was like eight or nine. So currently I feel like I'm even closer to that dream happening in terms of looking at real estate and and feeling that sense of expansion when I see a particular property go, I wonder if that's the one, you know, and then sitting with that and seeing what happens next and seeing what synchronicities show up and and what starts to align. So my hope is is that because my my big dream has always been let's, let's have my own farm, not just for clients to come and do intensives for healing work and to teach trauma therapy, but also to be a place for the horses um, Mm. to be. And when I do equine-assisted therapy, it's a little bit of a paradigm shift. It's not just, oh, the horses are there so the the humans can heal. Mm. It's a relational process whereby the healing for the human cannot come at the expense of the horse. And since horses also experience their own trauma, it would really be hypocritical of me for the process to be solely about the human's gains. And so for me, it's about how do I set, create a farm property where the horses can live and have a really wonderful natural life and that the interactions with humans are not reenactments of past abuses or exploitative behavior. How can it be a place where both the human and the horse have a choice and a voice and really just creating a space for that where it's not about getting the client to experience something and the horse may or may not really want to be doing that. So for me, it's a very different sort of perspective, which is why I've kind of leaned towards the language of horse-human trauma recovery is it's not necessarily explicitly equine-assisted therapy of some kind. I mean, technically, this is also, oddly enough, horsemanship and horse behavior and what are we doing to support conditions for healing across species. Beautiful. Yeah. I love a balanced approach because I, too, love to work with the trauma that animals have been put through based on human behavior yeah so to hear you speak that way it like my body reacted for sure so it's what did you notice in your body heather when that happened when i said that it was a release of a relief Uh 
It was a release of relief is what happened uh-huh. in my body. I'm like, oh. Yeah. And then a giddy, a giddy little girl inside going, yay. Like my arms went up like I was cheering a football team. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who gets it, you know, like <laughs> that yeah. That was the sequence of events in my body that occurred. So lovely. I'm I excited for you. I'm hearing you share that right now. I'm a huge grin hearing you share that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's that balanced approach that – you know, there's that mindset that we're all one and what we do to one, we receive or it goes on and the cycles through back to you. And and yet to me, I've said this before on other podcasts, I think they're the more evolved species in my spiritual mindset because they've figured out how to live together without codependence. They've figured out how to use the earth without exploitation I think if we can be more aware of our interactions with them and what they're constantly telling us and teaching us, we will move along our evolutionary train much faster, I think. Um, What's interesting is that for me, it's like we're animals too, you know, like we're we're technically, right? We're mammals as well. And so for me, it's like, is it a better return to our actual nature? Our actual nature, yeah. Could be. You know? It's yeah. that ego piece that I, I wonder about because yeah. they keep us humble, man. <laughs> so it, I was just really excited and giddy when you shared your dream. It's really, really Thank cool. You. It feels closer. It feels, it feels like the signs and the, the path is, is unfolding sort of fast and furious these days. So hopefully by the next time we chat, I'll have more news about that. Nice. Um, but in the meantime... I remember you, before we started recording today, you were asking if I could share some examples of how intuition shows up for me. Yes, yes. Because everybody's got different things that resonate and different ways to receive intuition. So how it shows up for you is great. And and some stories of when you listen, some stories maybe when you didn't listen, anything Uh, along those that you feel comfortable sharing would be lovely. Gosh, I have so many stories. Where can I start? So perhaps the first thing I can say is that I haven't always thought I was an intuitive person, partly because of my early history and sort of how life and people in my life have sort of convinced me that there's something wrong with me and and I'm this problematic individual and yada, yada, blah. And so as someone who has been scapegoated and gaslit a fair amount in my life, mm. um, I've come to distrust my own sense of knowing and basically spent, I would say, started doing therapy when I was about 23. So I would say up until even into my mid-20s, late 20s, I really doubted that I had anything worthwhile to offer, that I had any kind of wisdom because I had spent a lifetime in self-protection mode. Mm -hmm. And what people saw of me was this very speedy, highly defensive, you know, highly verbally able to like defend myself with my tongue, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, so to speak, uh, and a very hardened, reactive kind of person. And I always really had a hard time with acknowledging that. And as I healed and did my work, God, years of therapy, so many different modalities. And as I've done that, and I continue to have a journey in that area, like currently I'm working with a practitioner in the U.S. who uses somatic 
work to work on birth imprints and early uh, pre and perinatal imprinting that uh, happens in the body. Yeah. And yeah, it's fascinating Huge. stuff. And yeah. so, so this is sort of my latest sort of unfolding or iteration. Um, but for years, I didn't know I had any of these abilities. And so uh, over time, as the layers of trauma and self-protection were starting to shed away, uh, I started to become more aware of certain gifts, I suppose, uh, you could say I have. Now, it took me a while because I, I never really, you know, when people would talk about gifts, I was like, oh, that's kind of woo-woo, you know, and I'm really science I'm a very intellectual, smart person, you know, high IQ, you know, I'm this, and I would use that as a, both as a self-protective mechanism and, you know, as a way to, some ways, keep people away, and, and that's all, again, defense strategy. But um, as I kind of realized that there was more to me than just having a high IQ, uh, there was like, oh, there's these bits and pieces to me that I'm, I'm learning more about. And so one of those pieces is a really strong ability to notice patterns and notice synchronicities and picking up on when this happened on this day, this other thing was happening at the exact same time. And I just, you know, you discover these little threads, which I always call like these little guideposts. It's like, oh, isn't that interesting? There's a little, that's, there's the universe kind of winking at you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always had that gift. I think my mom has that as well. And that's been something I've always been very good at is recognizing, oh, when I'm on the right track, uh, I can tell because I'm able to pick up on all these nuances and they all string together. And it's it's just like you couldn't make it up if you tried. Like right. it's just so like somebody wrote it in a fiction. Like it, it's so perfect in how the little metaphors line up. Uh, I have dreams. One of the things that I have a lot of are what I call barometer dreams. And these I started having uh, around age 23 when I started doing therapy. And for what I call a barometer dream are these dreams that are full, chock full of metaphor. And I really have a lot of ease at identifying and figuring out my own dreams because my dreams usually reflect what's going on. And like an example, this is um, so I had a series of dreams uh, in my early 20s where I started therapy that I started having dreams of fish tank. And the fish tank dreams really came fast and furious for a number of years uh, while I was in therapy and the dreams always had a different metaphor like the in one dream the fish tank was overflowing and the fish in it was too big and had to get out in another dream I was having difficulty finding fish for the fish tank in other another dream I was in a weird abandoned pet store with piles upon piles of empty fish tanks that were dirty and needed to be cleaned and I, I'll never forget the moment where I had noticed a big shift in my life at that time, the shift now is lost to the sands of time. I forget what it was, but the dream still remains. And the dream was I crashed out of a tiny tank and fresh water spilled everywhere and I became this fish in a larger tank. And that, as I say this to you today, I realize is part of my birth imprint because I have a life pattern of being cramped and being in places or life pots, flower pots in my life that are too small for me and needing to get out and get out quickly. (laughs) Uh, My mom told me recently I was born in under three hours. I'm like, well, that certainly explains a lot. I need to get the heck out, (laughs) you know, and my life has been this series of holding patterns where I'm in these small pots that I outgrow and I perpetually feel like I'm in the wrong sized pot. And that early dream of the fish outgrowing the fish tank and having this outflowing of fresh water and coming into a bigger space, I've been doing a lot of that work recently around that. 
And just yesterday, or actually you know, just earlier today, I found two shells that I had kept, one from when I was 13, 27 years ago, and one from when I was living on Vancouver Island, uh, you know, but probably about maybe even 12 years ago. And the two shells ended up representing the growth I've been going through recently, and they actually fit into each other perfectly. Oh. And it's just this really cool. wild, like, oh my gosh, here's little me fitting into a larger pot. And like, it was just... The, the things keep showing up and I have such a preponderance of things like this in my life that I go, okay, that's got to be, I don't know what you want to call that kind of a gift where you notice metaphors that keep speaking to you in your dreams and in the outside world and in nature objects. And like, I don't know what that's called, but it it's doesn't something. need a name. It doesn't need a name. And yeah, the, the, it's just cool, man. Like, it is. Just, I've always had that. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I love it because it's the first time somebody's actually said that that's how their intuition comes. And yet yeah. I re- I recognize it in myself sometimes that it's happening, yeah. but I haven't identified it for, for people to know that this too is intuition. So thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing that because yeah. it's huge. It, it's cool. And another version that I have is um, not just the dreams and noticing the metaphors and noticing the little signposts as I call them, but it's also animals. So I have always had a really strong connection with animals. I will never call myself a whisperer of any kind because I don't see myself like that. And that's not been my experience. But what I do receive um, with animals is um, I will have animal metaphors show up in my life at various times where it's not usually domesticated. It's, it's wild animals showing up at various points what they do, their behavior, when they show up, the timing of when they show up matches what's going on in my life. And it's really quite uncanny. I'll give an example. So one that has been very important for me, there's a book called Animal Speak by a person by the name of Ted Andrews. It's a, an oldie, but a goodie. And I, I want to be careful in naming that book because I don't know if Ted is indigenous or if he's like an individual who has appropriated, you know, shamanic or indigenous practices as a white person. You know what I mean? Like I'm always really wanting to be careful about stuff like that because that's really important for me to, you know, not appropriate and to make sure I'm going to the right source and it's not this distilled down, colonialized thing. So that's a soapbox I can get onto it for another time perhaps. But so anyway, in the Ted Andrews book, there's a lot of, it basically talks about what metaphors animals represent and in you know, various cultures and and that kind of thing. And so one of the animals that has been a very strong messenger animal, so to speak, for me are red-tailed hawks. And they often show up in my life at interesting times. And I've always wanted a red-tailed hawk feather. I collect feathers. I'm always finding feathers. And I have quite a lot of really cool feathers. And so I've always wanted a red-tailed hawk feather. And of course, that never crossed my path. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, gosh, these red-tailed hawks have so much... Uh, meaning for me, if I think of the Ted Andrews book, like one of the things is how red-tailed, the red tail of the red-tailed hawk, if you're into Eastern spirituality and chakras, the, the, the red tail represents the root chakra, which is red. And I have often had a lot of wounding with my root chakra, difficulty with feeling grounded because, again, the pot's always been too small. I never really feel rooted in a particular place because the place always is too confining for me, whether physically or emotionally. And I've also, interestingly enough, uh, had a lot of pelvic issues in my adult life and had to go through pelvic floor physiotherapy and work on all my sort of wounded female stuff, which, again, is part of the red-tailed hawk imagery. And there's another piece around the red-tailed hawk, which is it has a home territory. It's very loyal. And 
I'm like, wow, that's something I feel like I need. Like, I, I don't know what that's like to have a place of home that feels big enough, that you feel comfortable having your own territory. That's not something that I'm used to. And then there's, of course, the piece around how red-tailed hawks often get attacked by crows. And that usually represents the, according to Ted Andrews anyway, the need to learn how to rise above adversity. And I've had in my life a lot of patterns in my life of being a convenient target for people with unresolved issues and having stuff dumped on me and having been, I mean, that's everything from, you know, family members to past partners, you know, romantic partners and so on, and even you know, being the victim of criminal and civil harassment for a four-year period of my life and going, my goodness, like like that red-tailed energy is really about the rising above all these adversities, the crows that keep attacking that are not having anything to do with me, you know. And I have, uh, interestingly, it was about two years ago in the midst of a whole bunch of ongoing harassment, I was driving to work one day and this was during a period of months where I had been experiencing uh, animals while out on my drives to work. I drive the backcountry roads all the time. And like one day, I'll just quickly go through them. Like one day, a bunch of deer crossed on a day where something happened related to the deer metaphor. And, you know, another day I was driving on that stretch of road and there was a little white dove that, you know, magicians have. Clearly not a wild dove, clearly a domesticated dove that just happened to land on the side of the road. And I hung out with it for a while. I pulled over. I'm like, I'm stopping here. Uh, And I pulled over and hung out with the bird for a bit. And at the time, it meant there was something. I I have it written down. I can't recall, again, the details, but that lined up. And then there was a whole bunch of other stuff related to various animals and snapping turtles and saving a snapping turtle from traffic and like all these things that lined up. And then what was interesting was I encountered, as I was driving home from work in March of that particular year, I was driving home from work and I had just received another harassment incident from my harasser and I was just gutted I was just like oh my god this doesn't end like it doesn't stop and as I'm driving home it was nighttime and I had just had a brutal day of dealing with more of the harassment and I'm driving home and there's a baby opossum on the road it was in the middle of the road and I think the car before me had just hit it so it was literally just sitting there not moving and so I pulled my car over went back to it and it had been hit and so it was not in the best of shape and so I literally picked it up brought it to a vet and had it put down and I had to look up the meaning of a possum because I'm like what is this like why a possum on the day that I've been harassed what's a possum about it's about playing dead right right? It's, it's about you know being immobile in the face of threat and I absolutely was completely immobilized and gutted by what was going on in my life at that time and what was super fascinating was um, a few months later, I'm driving to work one morning, and then all of a sudden, on a stretch of road that I drove by every day, there was a red-tailed hawk on the ground, and I was like, okay, what is going on? And so I pulled over, and I walked over to it, and it was lying perfectly on the gravel. It had died, and and I'm sitting there going, what? What is this? Like, so many cars have driven past here. Like, this clearly, it wasn't roadkill, because it was in perfect wasn't demolished it was like it had literally landed there and died and so I contacted the Ministry of Natural Resources to get permission to keep the bird because you have to do that kind of thing and I brought it I was like what do I do and so I brought it to work and I kind of did a little ceremony I got my smudge stuff out and I I burned sage and I read the section on red-tailed hawk again in the book and 
I looked up other sources on the internet of more indigenous origin to sort of corroborate what Ted Andrews was saying in his book. And I was like, okay, this is bringing something to me. What is it you need? What is it you want? Like, I'm not going to harvest feathers from you. You're in perfect condition. And so what ended up happening was I, he's in my office. I had him He's there in the upper corner of my bookshelf, and he's a three-year-old male, died by poison. Probably a farmer, a local farmer with a, um, a mouse, you know, put yeah. that mouse bait out, and that travels up the food chain. But what's fascinating is that I have seen this bird for three years. I drive the same country road, or I was driving the same country road every day to go to the office, and saw that bird. That bird was on my territory. And now that bird, like, I know the bird that yeah. died. Wow. Um, and I was like, this is wild. And so a few months after that, after I got the bird back, I was driving the same stretch of road and to go home. And I was driving over the hill, and I was like, I wonder if I'm going to see an opossum here. It was right after a moment of victory in dealing with the processes that the harasser had initiated and it was one of those triumphant days and I was like oh I wonder I wonder if I'm gonna see an opossum this is months later like Heather you have to understand like I I hadn't seen an opossum I'd driven that road for months since the other opossum never saw one again driving home I was like I wonder if I'm gonna see one I get over the crest of the hill and there's one on the side of the road in the exact same spot I'm like, okay, this is, this has got to be something like this is, you know, and I was like, that is wild. And I was like, okay, what is that? And I, I took it, the message I got from it was, you can start to come out of freeze now. Right. You know, and I was like, oh, okay. Thanks, Apossum. I was like, okay. Like, and so there's all these all these examples like this and I, I have so, so, so many of them. Oh, wow. Um, well. and, and it's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's something I've come to learn to trust. Like the shiver that goes down my leg when something feels like it's aligned or right. I've just learned to trust it and not think of it as weird and not think of it as unscientific. You know, like I've just it's come fantastic. to go, yes, it happens. And whenever it happens, it's dead on accurate. I cannot explain it. It just is. Yeah. And that to me is the best kind. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of you sharing your your intuitive stories with us today because it will resonate with so many people and it may just make them pay a little bit closer attention to those synchronicities and to the animals that show up in their life because they are messengers. All of it is messages. So <laughs> thank you so much, yeah. Sarah. We really, really, truly appreciate what you've shared with us today. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Heather. I look forward to doing this again sometime. So do I. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. We truly appreciate our guests for sharing their stories and insights about how intuition has impacted their lives. And I'm so grateful for Peter Trainer for his time in giving me this original music. It's now your turn. It's your turn to listen and act on your own intuition and help make the world a better place. Until next time, keep seeing, being, knowing, and doing. If you like this podcast, please share it. If you want to find others like it, go to www.healingvitality.ca or wherever you would find your podcasts. We would love to have you join us on this journey. Come be a crow sitting in the tree. Be part of our community.